Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 118 of the Think Food Camp podcast. The title of today's interview is I Grew Up With Lyme, an interview with Sophie Eustace. My name is Richard Johansson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So, Matt, this is another one of these terrible stories where a young child gets sick from Lyme disease and has to go on a lengthy diagnostic journey. But to make things worse, because she's of mixed race, she's half African, they misdiagnosed her with Mediterranean anemia rather than Lyme disease. What's really sad about Sophie's story is that France is even more behind the United States when it comes to Lyme disease. Once Sophie was diagnosed, she started treating with a protocol called TikToks, but it was shortly discontinued after she started the treatment. She also was not able to take CBD oil because it's not permitted in France. Unfortunately, Sophie's very limited to what she can do to treat her Lyme disease. So Matt, I'm really excited to introduce our first French guest to the tech bootcamp community, Sophie Eustace. Hey, Sophie Eustace, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Oh, really blessed to have you. So, Sophie, I uh, want to share with our listeners that you are our first guest from France. So can you share with us where you're from? Oh, that's cool. Well, I'm from the city of Strasbourg, which is at the border with Germany. And, uh, but I also have to mention that I'm from the French Caribbean originally. So yeah, I'm from France. So let's talk about that. So you, you grew up in France. Now, were you born in France? And are you, are you just um, ethnically from a Caribbean country? Or were you born in the Caribbean country and then just grew up in uh, France? No, my dad is from the French Caribbean, so the island of Martinique. And I grew up in mainland France, in the city of Strasbourg. So it's in the northeast of the country of France. And that's where I spent uh, most of my life, actually. That's where I grew up. So let's talk about your life in France. Um, what was your educational process like? Uh, well, I went, to, I went through the classical uh, school journey in France. So it's pretty similar to what you have in the US, for example, or in well, many other countries. And when I was 19, that's when I started uh, university. So I moved to the southeast of France. And uh, I've been traveling quite a bit for my studies. So I decided to focus on the Caribbean. Uh, I study social sciences and international relations. And uh, I went to study in Jamaica for a year, for example, uh, last year. And now I'm back in France. So yes, and I will be starting my last year uh, at college in September. So when you complete your college education, what is it that you plan to do professionally? Mm, to be honest, I'm not quite sure as yet. Um, I had quite specific plans in my head. I really wanted to work in the Caribbean region and uh, focus on international cooperation in the region. So that's, uh, for example, uh, legal accords or trade accords between the countries. But the coronavirus, uh, pandemic has made me rethink that because obviously with all the borders closing up, uh, traveling around the world might not be as easy as it was last year. So I'm still thinking about what I will do next. Uh, yeah, I still have a few more months to figure it out. So hopefully I will. <laughs> so Sophie, I, I, I uh, want to share with our listeners that you are a multi-talented young woman and you speak as many as five different languages fluently and a couple of dialects as well. Yes, I do. That's 
uh, one of the perks of growing up in a, um, in a biracial family, I guess, because uh, you can take in so much culture from both sides. Instead of just having one uh, cultural background, you actually have two. So I have had uh, German influences from my mother's side of the family and uh, Caribbean influences from my dad. So yeah, that's allowed me to learn how to understand and speak uh, French Creole, for example. And throughout my studies, I've learned uh, different languages, for example, English. And obviously French is my, my mother tongue. So yes, I really like languages. I think they're a good, a good asset to have. And I think it's particularly amazing that you've been able to develop so many linguistic skills since you've been suffering from what you now know to be the symptoms of a tick disease since you were a very young child. Yes, well, um, yeah. I mean, I don't really think that uh, the Lyme disease symptoms have affected me uh, that much on this side, at least not when I was younger. And uh, I actually tend to think that it might have helped because you know, when uh, you have symptoms, physical symptoms, you don't get to be as active, as physically active as other kids maybe. So I used to stay home a lot. I used to read a lot of books. And when I started to get bored with the French books I had, I started to read in English. And uh, yeah, so I was, I was reading a lot. Definitely, I was a bookworm. And I think this has had quite a, a big influence on my linguistic skills as well. So yeah, I like to think that there is always, you know, something positive coming from every bad experience you have. So obviously I can see some positive aspects uh, from this disease as well. So Sophie, why don't you share with us when you first started to show the symptoms of what you now know to be your tick disease? Well, uh, the first symptoms uh, started to show up when I was about four. So obviously I don't really recall anything, but um, thankfully, my parents were really involved, and uh, since they did not know what was wrong with me, they just kept notes on everything. And uh, yeah, I don't remember, but it was I was complaining about frequent uh, joint pain, fatigue as well. And uh, yeah, so I was I was four years old. And when did you ultimately receive your Lyme disease diagnosis? It took it took several years. It took about. Uh, about six years because if I remember correctly I was 10 years old when I was uh, finally diagnosed with uh, Lyme disease so it was a, a long process like so many other people I have um, I was at the doctor's uh, office quite a lot at the hospital trying to figure out what was what was going on you know and uh, you get misdiagnosed uh, so easily with so many different uh, diseases and uh, and symptoms that you don't actually have. So it took, yeah, it took about six years to get a Lyme diagnosis. So let's talk about that window of time in your life between when you were four years old and when you were ultimately diagnosed at 10 years old. What do you remember about that period of time? And do you remember specifically seeing a lot of different doctors? I do, actually, I do remember that quite, uh, quite well, because, you know, when you, um, the moment of the week you're supposed to go and play sports, I was usually in the car with my parents, uh, taking me to the hospital for different doctor's appointments. And I don't remember it being too traumatic as an experience because it was not, I like to think that it was not that bad, you know, you're not 
you know, sick to the point you can't do anything. And uh, I just knew that something was going on and I had pain. And my parents explained to me quite well that the doctors were supposed to help. And obviously when you see, when you see five doctors and none of them can figure out what's wrong with you, then you see five others. You start to wonder what's going on. You know, you start to think, well, maybe something's wrong with me and no one can figure it out. I remember, I remember it being long and, uh, quite painful as a process, but not too, you know, I don't, I don't remember it traumatizing me particularly, but I remember spending a lot of time, yeah, in, in hospitals, waiting rooms, especially, yeah. And I also remember, you know, from a, a child's point of view, you have doctors asking you all those questions that you don't really know why they're, why they're asking them. And uh, yeah, I remember it being quite awkward, that's for sure. Now, do you remember your parents' reaction to doctors failing to diagnose you? And do you get the sense now or then that they were getting frustrated with the failures of the medical community? Yes, I think they definitely were. They definitely were. I was really lucky to have very patient uh, parents who never doubted what I said. Because, you know, when you come uh, to the doctors with symptoms no one can explain, they do have a tendency to just, you know, decide that something's wrong with you and uh, maybe it's not your muscles, maybe it's not an actual condition, maybe you're just making things up. And thankfully, my parents never thought that I lied and they always fought for, for it to get better for us to find a solution. But yeah, I think they definitely got frustrated with uh, the misdiagnosis, the sometimes borderline diagnosis as well. And uh, yeah, but I, for sure, I remember them standing up for me every single time, uh, for example, in school as well. Because uh, actually, when I, when I looked up into the notes that my mom had taken a few weeks ago, uh, throughout this whole process, I found some notes that she wrote to my teachers as well. Because, you know, you're a child and uh, what, the, the main symptom I had and I still have is joint pain, and especially in my knees. So your kid shows up in class and, uh, you know, I complained about joint pain. I complained that I couldn't run, uh, run as well as the other kids. And, you know, some teachers just, they just couldn't, they just didn't want to hear it. So I had some problems at school with this and my parents didn't take it. They just, you know, send them notes saying, whatever my child is telling you, please believe it, believe her because what's the point of a six years old or an eight years old making things up about, you know, their health. So, yeah, I think it was quite a long and hard process for them as well, because you want to know what's going on with your child, of course. So, yeah. So, Sophie, let's talk about what your educational experience was like in that window of time between your fourth and 10th birthdays. Uh, do you recall teachers treating you differently than the other students that you went to school with? Yeah, I do have some, some memories of this being a problem. You know, um, I had one teacher especially, which caused some, uh, some confrontation with my parents at the time, uh, who just didn't want to believe that anything was wrong with me because, well, you know, the thing with Lyme disease is most of the time you can't see anything wrong with the person in front of you telling you that they're sick. So it's quite hard, I guess, uh, to believe that, you know, something is actually happening. And uh, yeah, I remember one teacher in particular being quite harsh about it and uh, trying to make me, you know, do the physical activities that I just could not do because it was too much. And uh, 
at some period over those years, I had um, I had crutches to walk because it was just too much, and you know it was not too much of a problem for me because you're around other kids. You just well, you just tell them that you need hurt and they don't really ask any other questions. But yeah, it was it was an annoying process going to school every day with these and uh, teachers asking me why I don't just walk. You know, you don't have a broken leg. What's wrong with you? And is this for attention? Is this uh, you know, to make other people talk about you. And I just didn't understand why they were so, you know, they were on my back all the time because what was the point of making th things up when really the only thing you want to do at this age is be like every other kid. So, yeah, that was a bit, that was annoying, yeah, for sure. Now, did your symptoms interfere with your relationships with other students? Did you have friends or were you having a different experience socially than your peers in your classes no i don't i don't remember it impacting my social relations uh, at all to be honest i remember having uh, you know my group of friends as uh, most kids do and they sticked with me they they didn't really try and understand what was going on you know it was just like well so if you can't can't run at the moment so we'll just do other things with her and i remember it being being just fine it was okay. I didn't really mind uh, missing out some activities, to be honest. I just, I think it didn't make me lazy, but it definitely did not make me the, the most loving, the child that loved the sports the most at the time. It changed since, because uh, I realized it was actually really good and that I actually really enjoyed it. But at the time, I don't think I, I minded that much. And yeah, it, it didn't really impact my relationship with other kids my age. So, Sophie, what sports did you want to play at that time in your life, and how did your Lyme disease prevent you from enjoying the sports that you wanted to participate in? Well, uh, I remember being obsessed with ice skating, which doesn't really make sense because um, no one in my family or my friends uh, did ice skating, but I remember I really wanted to do it, and I just couldn't. It was It was obviously possibly the worst sports that I could have come up with. So that frustrated me a bit. And uh, I do also remember my parents sending me to the swimming pool every week. And uh, actually, I can't tell you if I, uh, I ever stopped going because of Lyme disease, but I don't think so, because I remember hating it a lot. And uh, yeah, as I said, it didn't, really, it didn't really bother me that I couldn't do that much sports. It was Probably more the social aspect of it, you know, uh, for example, at school, when you have a break and every kid starts to run around and play sports, well, you can't really participate that much. So I guess this was the most, uh, this was the hardest part, I guess. But apart from that, I have to admit, I don't really remember it being, uh, being too hard on me. So, Sophie, your parents had blessed you with not only uh, a great deal of support and, and a dogged approach to making sure that they got you a diagnosis, but they also blessed you with taking notes on everything that was happening, which has now given you some insight into what was going on at that period of time. Now, do you recall either from conversations you had with your parents or from reading the notes about whether or not um, your parents ever found a tick biting, on, biting you or whether or not you ever had a Lyme rash? Well, uh, from the notes uh, about my symptoms started, uh, I remember it started in March, I think it was 2001. 
and uh, there is there is one at one point my mom does write that I, I had a rash uh, on my body but no one ever thought I, there was a tick rash because obviously that's not really the first thing you would think of uh, since they did not find the tick that's for sure they never saw it but uh, yeah so maybe that's also the reason it took so long because well we had nothing to start with so yeah so it's your belief that your mother observed a rash on you and she was sharing that information with your doctors, but none of the doctors used that as a basis to properly diagnose you, at least none of the doctors that you saw until you were 10. Yes. Well, then again, I have to, I have to say I'm not, I'm not even sure my mom mentioned it because I talked about it with her and she said, well, you know, you were, you were a four years old child and uh, I had allergies as well. So it was quite random, you know, to have a rash. It could have been pretty much anything. And uh, yeah, so maybe it was not mentioned, but uh, also the moment my parents started to, to take me to doctors, to specialists anyways, uh, about my symptoms, it started a bit later, you know, it, almost a year passed before they actually realized that it was a recurring problem and that I was always complaining about the same things. And once you've been to, you know, your regular doctor and uh, you don't have any solutions, that's when you start getting worried. So yes, I don't think the rush really was really um, a major uh, element in the diagnosis for me. So Sophie, let's talk about ticks and Lyme disease in France. Um, what did you know about um, ticks and Lyme disease prior to you being diagnosed? And did you receive any educational information about ticks and Lyme disease during your studies? Well, no, not at all. That's for sure. I had uh, no knowledge online before I was diagnosed. And, uh, and I remember at the time I was diagnosed, I was about 10. Uh, that's a bit over 10 years ago and uh, well when we came home from the doctors we obviously tried to to get as much knowledge on the on the subject as we could well I was quite young but at least my parents did and um, it it was a struggle and to this day it still is because uh, there is not that much information even though France has cases of Lyme disease so uh, so yeah, and it was particularly weird because, well, I realized that later, obviously, but uh, the region I grew up in, so uh, Alsace, uh, is the region in France which is the most impacted by Lyme disease. So, you know, the fact that there is no, no vocal um, awareness about the disease is quite, it's quite problematic, I think, because obviously when you come home from the forest or walk around in nature, well, most people do know that you have to check around uh, if you have any ticks on your body. But apart from that, you know, the consequences of a tick bite are not really, are not really talked about, that's for sure. So Sophie, we get the sense from our past podcast episodes that Germany seems to be taking a progressive approach to dealing with Lyme disease. And you've now grown up on the border of France and Germany. Did any of the progressive approach to ticks and Lyme disease from Germany ever bleed its way into the communities where you grew up? Well, um, well first, the doctor that diagnosed me uh, has been really, really influenced by what is going on 
uh, in research in Germany. And uh, maybe that's where I got lucky because uh, obviously in some other parts of France, you don't really have this incoming influence as much. And um, I'm not sure about the approach. I'm not sure it has taken it. Uh, it has really, it is really developing the same way in France yet, but hopefully, yes, hopefully it will at some point be taken more seriously because I really don't think it is considered uh, a real and an important health issue in France. And yeah, I mean, yes and no. I would say that there is some influence, but I would definitely say that it's not, it's not enough yet. So Sophie, let's talk about your misdiagnoses. Um, what were you misdiagnosed with, either based on your recollection or the notes that your mom and dad had been taking during this diagnostic journey that you were on? Well, um, I remember being diagnosed with lactose intolerance because this has traumatized me because I could not eat uh, dairy and I really liked it. So this was quite random, but it's pretty much the only misdiagnosis that I remember. Uh, from the notes that my parents took, I, I read that I was misdiagnosed with hypermobility uh, and that for quite a lot of time, my symptoms were read as, uh, as resulting of uh, growth spurts. So yeah, the doctors pretty much just concluded that since I was a child, I was growing too fast and that this was what caused uh, the pain, which obviously did not explain the fatigue. So, yeah. And uh, I was also diagnosed with uh, mental illness. Well, I'm not sure diagnosed is the, the correct term to use because it was just, you know, we can't find what, you're, what is wrong with you. So let's just say that you're making it up. So something must be wrong with you. And uh, also one thing that my mom uh, wrote about is that I was misdiagnosed with, um, with um, okay, I'm just going through my notes because I, I want to use the correct term. Uh, well, as I said, I'm, I'm mixed race. So uh, my dad being a black man from the Caribbean and uh, me being, well, I'm very light skinned, but I'm still mixed race. So the doctors read pretty much anything they want when you go and see them. And see them. So I was misdiagnosed with uh, what is called Mediterranean anemia, which is uh, it's basically a blood condition which uh, sometimes has effects on bones and uh, nerves. And it is especially common with people uh, of African descent. So yeah, I guess it was... It was um, you know, when you can't figure out what's wrong with you, you go into a doctor and you tell them, well, I've been to 10 before coming to see you. And uh, this is basically some of the, the most striking things I was misdiagnosed with. So now, Sophie, do you believe that either your age, your gender, or your culture played a role in doctors failing to pro properly diagnose you because of a bias? that they were harboring during the time that they were um, treating you? Well, I think my age definitely did, yes. Because um, it's quite easy to just assume a child is lying. And 
yeah, I guess some of them just thought, well, you know what, she doesn't want to play basketball, so she's just saying that her knees hurt, so she doesn't have to. And um, I think this was, of course, it's more, much more complicated than that, but I think that, yes, this was probably the reason why some of them believed that it was not legit. And some actually did ask my parents, how can you be so sure that the symptoms she's talking about are not entirely made up? You know, either from being very young, about four or five years old, some kids just, you know, have their own imaginary world. So why wouldn't she make those symptoms up? And then being a bit older, it was, you know, probably read as being convenient. And uh, so I would say my age definitely played a role in the misdiagnosis. And um, my gender, I'm not so sure. I don't think so. And uh, my race, maybe as well. As I mentioned, uh, as I mentioned, the condition I was misdiagnosed with, but that was the only, the only case. I, I read through my mom's notes, and uh, to be quite honest, I was quite frustrated about the fact that you know I was not believed. Is uh, well, it's frustrating. So yes, and uh, discovering the podcast and uh, getting educated on uh, Lyme disease, reading some some experience other people had. Uh, frustration definitely is something that comes back, and that a lot of people have to deal with because um, even when you're an adult, I've read so many cases of people saying, well, I went to see my doctor and nobody believed me, even though, you know, I'm a however old uh, person. And I think that's, I think that's crazy. So Sophie, on one hand, you were misdiagnosed as having a mental illness and anxiety where basically they were saying that you were faking your pain. And then on the other hand, you were misdiagnosed with the Mediterranean anemia because of your culture and your race. So did any doctors prescribe you anything or give you any sort of medication to treat these misdiagnoses before your ultimate Lyme disease diagnosis? Well, um, no, not concerning these two diagnoses anyways, because to be honest, my, my parents just didn't believe it. They knew that it was not, that was not what was wrong with me because, uh, well, the anemia, first of all, it did not make sense because um, when we went through all the tests, well, we could just figure out that it was not what was wrong. And uh, for, the, for the anxiety, um, no, no. I think at some point, uh, my parents did uh, from themselves uh, give me some essential oils or, uh, or something like this, but I was never treated uh, professionally for it because they just knew that this was not it. And uh, thankfully they kept looking because I don't think, uh, well, I don't think it would have helped. Sophie, do you recall or have your parents ever described to you what types of essential oils they used for you and how they were used to treat you? Well, uh, concerning the pain, because uh, to this day I still have, uh, I still have quite frequent joint pain. And uh, when I have some periods that are more intense than others, I I used what my parents used on me when I was much younger, which is uh, winter green oil. So I used it as a as a massage oil, and um, I used to ingest them as well. I don't uh, anymore. But when I was first diagnosed, um, the treatment I took uh, it was pills and uh, drops to to drink, which were based uh, on essential oils as well. But to be quite honest, I can't tell you the details of what was in it. 
uh, yes. So before we get to your, your treatment uh, with essential oils, how long were you misdiagnosed for before you got your Lyme disease diagnosis? Well, it took about, um, it took about five years, five or six years, yeah. About six years because uh, I was about 10 when I got diagnosed. So did you think that if you were older or were from a different background and culture that potentially you would have had a quicker diagnosis? I don't know. To be quite honest, I really don't know. Um, maybe being older would have been um, would have been more complicated for me because, you know, at some point I think uh, the misdiagnosis they make you doubt about what you're experiencing. It can it can definitely happen. So you would be experiencing all your symptoms and uh, having doctors telling you well what you're feeling, what you're experiencing is either not legit or not real, I think at some point you can just, you know, think, well, maybe they're right. Maybe, maybe I'm making it up. Maybe it's all in my head. And that's obviously not the way to go because then you never get the proper diagnosis and you can never get better. And um, yes, that's, so, that's my thought on Sophie, do you think that, so it sounds like you're saying if you were older, then you would have been more directly involved with your, your doctor's visits and that you would have doubted yourself that you were really sick, but because you were younger, your parents played a more active role and they never doubted your illness. Is that what your, your thought process is on this? Yes, that's exactly what, what I'm saying, yes. So walk us through now, here we are seven years later after you first started getting sick when you were four years old, so you're about 10 or 11 at this point. How did you finally land on Lyme disease? Well, um, my parents took me to an osteopath um, who who actually was specialized in Lyme disease. And uh, that's not why we went to see him initially. It's just because, you know, when, you, when you're looking for something, when you're looking for answers, you would just go and uh, try anything at some point. I remember my parents taking me to, to doctors, which would make me do weird things. You know, I had... Um, I had this treatment uh, which involved magnets and I mean, I'm saying weird things from my child's point of view, obviously, uh, you're not familiar with uh, alternative medicine and um, none of it really helped. So, you know, at some point you just think, well, we'll just go and see someone else and at some point maybe it will work. So that's when, that's how we landed, uh, we landed at my doctor's. And uh, that's how I got diagnosed. It was from a blood test. And uh, well, when he asked me about my symptoms, everything really matched uh, with Lyme disease. So it just sort of suddenly made sense. And uh, yeah. So and also like uh, b beforehand, uh, when I went to see classical, if I may say so, uh, doctors and to the hospital, I, I took blood tests, but the, um, the percentage of uh, infection of Lyme disease that I, that I was uh, sick with just didn't match the norms in France, which, uh, as you, you mentioned, Germany earlier. And um, it's all about, you know, uh, what is accepted in the, in the medicine uh, institution in different countries. And Lyme officially... Officially, I'm still not affected by Lyme disease today. So you had to take other tests that 
doctors we went to see before did not diagnose um, me with and did not think worth uh, trying. So, yes. So you were bouncing around from specialist to specialist, doctor to doctor, including natural doctors that use things like uh, biomagnetism and natural testing until you finally landed mm -hmm. at, a, at a Lyme doctor because you were just going to all these different doctors to try to find what was causing your problem. And when you landed at this Lyme specialist, they then ran your blood out of the country, it sounds like, in Germany. Was, was that at Armin Labs, you know? Is that the lab they used? I'm sorry? Do you know the, the lab they used to test your blood? Was it Armin Labs in Germany that they used to test your blood? I can't tell you. I, I really don't know. I don't know. Okay. But so you mentioned earlier that they were running blood work at the local hospitals, but they weren't looking for the type of Lyme disease that you had. So is the, the blood test that was done by the Lyme specialist different than those traditional tests done in Germany? I'm sorry, um, done in France? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. And uh, at the time, I just didn't understand anything about it. And uh, as I grew older, um, I got more familiar with, well, all this world of misdiagnosis and uh, different norms and the recognition of Lyme disease uh, in different countries as well. And um, my brother, I have an older brother who's uh, seven years older than me. He went and uh, started to work in, yeah, in, a, in a lab. He, he went to work in a lab uh, in which they actually run tests uh, for Lyme disease. And he actually helped me so much to understand why you know i had spent all those uh, six years being misdiagnosed and uh, getting my blood taken and uh, trying treatments that didn't work to actually land on a diagnosis that some people get uh, from one visit in the hospital because you can get diagnosed with Lyme disease much easier much easily in uh, in france it doesn't mean that you get treated uh, the proper way obviously but yeah i just couldn't understand why it had taken so long and uh, so the doctor that um, diagnosed me and that treated me and still treats me to this day had um, had a different point of view. I think this is what changed everything for me. It was the fact that he had been abroad uh, to conferences. He had been abroad to get educated, uh, to do his research. And uh, he had a different way of of seeing Lyme disease, of treating it, and uh, this changed everything. Sophie, from, from either your parents' perspective or yours, if you remember, what was it like now, you already were tested for Lyme at the hospitals and it came back negative. Now you're at the Lyme specialist and he's telling you, you have Lyme disease. So do you recall or have your parents shared with you what that was like? Did you fully believe it? Were you excited that you finally had a diagnosis? And what was that like for you and your family? Well, I remember that uh, until the treatment uh, started and started being efficient, I think he was just another quack. You know, I had seen so many. I just thought, well, I'm going to take his pills and I've tried others before and it's just going to be the same. So, you know, it can't be really, it can't really be worse. So I remember thinking this for sure, because at some point, you know, it gets tiring. And uh, as I was growing older as well, I wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted to do. I didn't want to stay affected by this. I wanted to have a solution and uh, whichever it was, of course. And uh, I remember being quite skeptical and uh, I don't know about my parents. Maybe they were as well, but, you know, 
thankfully they didn't give up and uh, we just had to try it. And yes, I remember being quite, quite surprised when it actually had positive effects on, on my symptoms. I mean, that makes complete sense. You've been bouncing around for seven years with misdiagnoses and treatments that didn't work. So of course you were skeptical to see whether or not this new specialist doctor was actually accurate or not. Now, you mentioned that you were waiting to see if the treatment actually helped you. So can you talk us through what the treatment protocol was that this Lyme litter doctor prescribed for you? Yes, well, uh, at first he, he prescribed to me uh, this treatment that actually doesn't exist anymore in France anyways. Uh, it's called TikToks and it was from what I recall, it was basically a mixture of uh, essential oils and uh, herbs, which were to get it as at uh, my my symptoms. And um, I had pills as well. And you know, I was quite young, and uh, even from my parents' notes, I don't really make I didn't really make much sense of it. So I remember having to take a lot of pills, a lot of drops, a lot of um, of things that didn't really taste very good. And um, I was very skeptical about it. And he also prescribed to me vitamins and somehow it did work. Not entirely, of course, but it did make a difference for sure. So Sophie, it sounds like at a high level, because of course you were so young, you don't remember the details, but he was prescribing vitamins mm -hmm. and supplements to help strengthen your body while at the same time he was prescribing you uh, or giving you these essential oils and herbs, both in a pill form and also in a tincture form that you would put like in your mouth under your tongue potentially sounds like. And it sounds weird, but it actually started to work for you. Yeah, it, it sounds very weird, but it did work. And uh, the, the, the way, the, way the, the treatment was shaped made me especially skeptical because I just thought, well, why would this work? You know, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't look strong. It doesn't look like actual medicine. It looks like something my rabbit could take. And uh, I remember being very skeptical about it, but yes, it did have an effect. Knowing what you know now and looking back, you think it was effective because it probably was using two different tactics to address the Lyme disease. One being it was, it was killing the bacteria or decreasing the, the bad stuff in your body. And number two, it was strengthening your body naturally to be able to fight it on its own. And that's kind of what these herbs and essential oils do together. So do you think that's why it had helped you back then? Yes, yes, I think so. I think, you know, um, maybe the, um, what you were saying about strengthening my body was uh, what had been missing. And, um, and obviously when you don't know what the problem is, it's quite hard to target it. So... Yeah, I think I think this is why it worked because it had not been tried before, and uh, as you said, you know, it helped to to kill the bacteria which caused uh, the symptoms. And it seems so simple thinking about it now, but obviously when you don't know what the cause is, you can't really you can't really treat it. So yeah. And and understandably so, because these types of treatments are not very well accepted, I think, throughout the world. So certainly not here in the United States and, and certainly not in France where you are. So I'm sure your parents and you as a young child and, and your friends and family were skeptical as well. But talk to us about the symptoms that started to get better as a result of this TikToks treatment that you took. Well, um, as I think I mentioned earlier, um, quite 
uh, quite a few times before being diagnosed with Lyme, uh, it had started to be really, really bad and uh, to the point I could not walk anymore. So this is really when, you know, I started to be triggered by it. I started thinking, well, maybe what I have actually is bad. So, yeah. And um, I remember it being really, really relieving because uh, I could finally, you know, do everyday kids stuff again. And uh, it was very random, but going through my parents' notes at some point, my mom just wrote, well, she could run again. And, uh, you know, it doesn't sound life-changing uh, say it like this, but it actually is when you're a 10 years old child. So, yeah, I think uh, this is really when we started to notice that it was actually making a difference. It was actually working. Especially when you were barely able to walk and now you're back running and doing things that you wanted to do as a young child and almost back to being a normal child again. So this was, of course, 12 years ago. And it sounds like you were on this treatment on and off for quite a while. But about three years ago, you started to have some worsening symptoms again, especially in regard to your joint pain and your ability to walk. So can you talk to us about three years ago and what happened then in your life and uh, what that was like? Yes, well, um, after being diagnosed, um, I have to say I don't really recall uh, Lyme really affecting my life. I mean, I was taking my treatments. I went to see my doctor uh, every few months, but it was not really something that affected my everyday life. You know, it was just part of my of my routine, so I didn't mind. And uh, I think it has made me, um, well, I consider myself lucky because obviously I think it's easier to live with something you can forget than uh, to be affected by it every minute of every day. And uh, I always had uh, joint pain. It never really stopped, but it was manageable in, in the sense that I could just take you know, some painkillers and move on with my day. And uh, this was my routine for, for quite a few years. For, for about 10 years, actually. So I could uh, do sports again. I could do everything I wanted to do. And whenever Lyme uh, bothered me, we would just adjust my treatment or I would take more painkillers and it was fine. And I never really mentioned it apart from um, with my doctor or my close family. And I kind of forgot about it. And then a few years ago, yeah, as you said, about three years ago, I was actually uh, in Martinique at the time, studying there for a year. So um, I was I was doing just fine, and I started to notice that the symptoms were uh, were stronger than they usually were, and that it was starting to affect my life uh, much more than I wanted it to. So along with the joint pain, um, I I had a big weight loss which kind of worried me and uh, I also noticed for the first time some uh, concentration issues which I had never had before and uh, I went into uh, denial mode for quite a few a few months because I was away from from my doctors obviously so I could call him but I couldn't see him so I thought well if I just put this on hold maybe it will pass maybe I'll just you know double the vitamin dose and it will get better, which it obviously did not. And um, this really uh, showed me that, you know, it's not, it's not over, you're not done with it. And 
you know, you have to actually address the issue. You have to actually, you can't just deny the fact that it's affecting you. And uh, since uh, 2017, it's gotten a bit better, but it's really on and off. You know, I have some periods where it's actually good and I consider myself lucky. And then some periods uh, in which it's actually an everyday struggle. And um, for the first time in years, I've had uh, periods when I can just not really get out of bed for like a few days in a row. And I've tried to fight it, but I've actually noticed that it makes it worse. So yeah, we're we're currently trying to figure out what the most appropriate treatment is uh, at the moment. And uh, yeah, it's a bit blurry, but uh, yeah. Sophie, were you working with the same Juan Litter doctor that diagnosed you from the time you were 10 up until the present date? Yes. Sophie, it sounds like since the time when you were 19 and this, this increase in symptoms occurred to the present date, you had tried a lot of things that just didn't work, but have you made any progress at all over the past several years? It sounds like you are doing pretty well today. I mean, you're, you're doing a great job on this interview and you're doing a great job at articulating your story. So have you made any, any improvements over the last three years? Yes, well, um, I, yeah, I think so. When when I came back from Martinique, uh, I studied back in France for a year in mainland France, and uh, I had this new treatment which was pretty heavy, and it worked for a time. At least it helped with um, it helped with brain fog for sure. And about last year, um, in about September or October, um, well, full full of last year was quite complicated to deal with. Um, at the time I was living in Jamaica for my studies. And um, when I left for Jamaica, I actually thought that it was going to be um, much easier to manage Lyme over there because for some reason, uh, based on the readings that I had done, on the beliefs that I had came up with and on my own experience, um, it's actually, more manageable for me when the weather is good, which sounds crazy, but that's what I thought. So I left quite lightheaded and I thought it was going to be just fine because uh, I had gotten better with this new treatment and uh, I had quite an unexpected relapse. So since then, uh, considering I was, I was not in France and um, well, Lyme disease is absolutely not developed in Jamaica in the way it can be in other countries. So I didn't have access to the things I needed to have access to. So we couldn't really adjust my treatment. And this was quite a dark period because I was basically stuck. And um, it got better since, but um, it really showed me that you never know and that I should be really, really more careful. However, I do um, I do take in uh, every good period, and I try to enjoy it as much as I can. And I also try to to deal with the pain because uh, I know that the symptoms of Lyme can be much much heavier than the ones I have. So you know, it's I don't know what it's what it's worth, but I do find some comfort in in other people's experiences, whether they're better than mine or worse than mine. And I do know that, you know, most of the time, my symptoms are manageable. And if I have a period, whether it's a few weeks, 
whether it's a few months where it's really bad. Uh, I'm lucky enough that it has not lasted for too long for now. And I haven't been really in a really, really bad period for, for years since I was really young. So I try to try to manage. Yeah. So Sophie, give us an idea of where you are at today with your health. If you had to give us an assessment of where you are in the world today, tell us how you feel and where you think you are going with your health in the coming months. Well, at the moment, I want to say that I'm good because, um, yeah, I do have some, some pain, uh, but it's really manageable and, um, Hopefully it will stay this way. Hopefully it won't get worse. And um, I do have faith in the fact that I can maybe find a treatment that's more adjusted to what uh, symptoms I'm experiencing. Um, so yeah, however, the thing that has me worried a bit is not that much the joint pain because, well, to be quite honest, you get used to it. Um, it's maybe not the best thing in the world, but you know, you know your body at some point and you know well if i just you know take some painkillers it's going to be fine uh, i can manage the thing that i'm most worried about is uh it's the brain fog and the concentrating uh, issues and uh, this this i'm not so confident about because you know you never know if it can get worse you never know if new symptoms are going to appear so i'm staying alert for sure but at the moment i'm i'm pretty good i'm pretty good so Sophie, now we'd like to talk with you about um, how this Lyme disease journey has actually been positive for you. And you did talk with us a little bit earlier about how it allowed you to be more studious uh, during your childhood. But talk to us about how it has really affected your life in a positive way and how you've become the person that you are because of your Lyme journey. Well, um, well as I've said, it's, I think it has saved my interests in life a bit. I'm not sure I would have read that many books if I had not been affected by Lyme disease and if I could have been running around uh, as much as um, as I wanted to. And uh, this has stuck with me. I'm still found in my room reading books quite a lot to this day and uh, quite to my friend's despair, actually. And yeah, it has really changed, uh, I think, the way I developed as, as a young, you know, as a teen and then as a young woman, because um, I see a lot of people talking about their before and after experience. And I can't really say I've had this because being, you know, being sick from so young, from so early on, you don't really recall what your life was like before because, well, it's not, it's not worth comparing, of course. And, um, Yes, I think it has really influenced uh, me and it has made, uh, it has changed what was normal for me. So, uh, so yeah, and um, in terms of maybe the social experience that comes with it, uh, this has been quite complicated for me uh, because I didn't really know what to do with it because as I've said, it was a complicated process of being diagnosed and it was so blurry and so hard for me to understand that I didn't really want to mention it to anyone because I thought, well, if you say anything, you're just going to be asked questions that you don't want to answer or that you don't know the answer to and uh, just avoid the subject and it's going to be fine. 
And a few years ago, especially when I got this this relapse, if I can call it this way, a few years ago, I started to really read on the subject. I started to read books. I started to listen to podcasts, to follow accounts on social media concerning Lyme disease. And uh, this has really made me aware of the fact that, you know, my experience is not is not so so different from the experience many other people have and if they can talk about it maybe i can you know mention it to my friends and maybe it will make me feel uh, more comfortable with counseling plans or staying home or you know going home after after a few hours when i'm not feeling good and this has really this is quite recent for me and uh just a few years ago, I would never have even thought of being in a podcast such as this one because, you know, it's not something that I talked about. And uh, so, yeah, I think it has really influenced a lot of aspects of my life and uh, some for better, some for worse. That's for sure. So thank you for that beautiful outline. And, and now I want to ask you for uh, the last thing we ask everyone by way of assisting our our community, and that is, in the event that, God forbid, your dad came into your um, house tomorrow and showed you that he had a tick biting him on his leg, what would you recommend that he do so that he doesn't have to go through a terrible Lyme disease journey the way you have? Well, uh, for sure, I would recommend to take it out and to have it analyzed just to make sure that, just to know, you know, if it was carrying Lyme disease or not. And... Uh, but bearing in mind, this process can actually be be misleading because it's so unclear and so blurry, and especially in France, where the problem of Lyme disease is not really targeted um, officially or in in classical medicine. But yeah, I think this is the first thing I would advise anyone to do, and then uh, then. I'm not so sure, actually. I'm still making up my mind and I'm still, you know, building up knowledge on the subject. So, yeah, I'm not a specialist, that's for sure. I have read a lot about uh, antibiotics uh, treatments, especially early on when Lyme disease is diagnosed. I'm not convinced what uh, I think of it. So I think considering the natural um, medicine or alternative medicine has worked for me, uh, that's probably what I would advise anyone to turn to. Uh, but I would especially, especially warn anyone uh, worried about Lyme disease, about everything that goes around it and everything that uh, it can lead to, because uh, not only my experience, but the experiences of so many other people and um, everything I've read, everything I've seen, everything I've, I know, just shows how complicated and how complex of a disease it can be. And uh, yeah, I think that's something people should know if, uh, if anything about this, yeah. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Sophie Eusis. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Sophie Eusis and her French Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram page at S-O-P-H-I-S-T-A-C-H-E. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp is created Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint.
Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to offer us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates to our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or our website. Thank you for listening.